Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the best unranked sports podcast on iTunes, the final third. My name is Alex, and alongside me, he is a constant here at the show, Ben Meza. Mr. Ben, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, Alex. Thanks for having me on again. Um, yeah, we're just coming off a massive FIFA break. I'm really looking forward to talking about those games with you and uh, dissecting the finer points of, of what we saw. We have a team that's clinched a World Cup berth in Brazil. Perfect since 1930. Oh, wow. Who would have thought? Yeah, I know. So we're going to have that on the show a little bit later on. And we got a lot to talk about. It's uh, it's good. What's a World Cup without Brazil? We wouldn't know because we haven't seen one. Yeah, that's exactly the thing. It, it, it wouldn't exist. You need the world's best team, the home of Samba football, to be at a World Cup. It just needs to be there. That's true. We always need to see that. And the girls, too. Um as you guys know, or probably don't know, Ben is now officially part of the team, so he'll be here week in, week out. And Ben, yeah, I know that you're going to bring a lot of knowledge, like it says outside on the on the rules that I have before you enter the studio. So congratulations on this big achievement. How do you feel about this? I feel great. You know, I signed the contract that you, you signed me on. It was it was really intimidating when I saw in the rule that I can't touch any of the equipment unless you say I can, but I can respect that. And I appreciate the signing on bonus of a water bottle. It's it's great. It's great to be here. I'm excited to consistently contribute my thoughts to you. And ultimately, this is a great outlet for the wealth of soccer knowledge that I have that my girlfriend and parents have no business hearing. So let's uh, get forward and let's get going with this. All right, let's go. And the opening question, the icebreaker, like we started uh, a tradition last week. Who's the best soccer player of all time? Ben, who do you think is the best soccer player of all time? Edson Arantes do Nascimento, otherwise known as Pele. Yes, there can be a hundred great players, but there is only one Ray, and that is Pele. And uh, let me tell you, the, the thing is, he has more than a thousand goals. And what started that off was when he was a little kid, his dad was mourning the loss of the Brazilian national team to Uruguay in the 1950 World Cup. Pele took that despair, saw it, and said, I'm going to win this cup for my country. He said that at that moment to his father and went on to win it three times. The first time as a 17-year-old, 1958, Stockholm. It was incredible. And uh, his lengthy career with Santos, which essentially turned into like a Harlem Globetrotter show of soccer. I mean, Santos were touring the world. And uh, his later big move to the NASL and New York Cosmos was big for soccer in America. I almost forgot about that, but you reminded me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were kind of the first Galacticos, if you think about it. Real Madrid kind of got their identity from the New York Cosmos. I mean, that began to become the the pattern. Uh, Anyways, uh, Pele is definitely the best. Uh, What do you have down, Alex? Uh, He's from Argentina. He wore number 10. He had a long, curly hair. Diego Armando Maradona. I was going to say Mario Alberto Campos. Well, you thought I was going to say Mario Alberto Campos because he had long hair and he was wearing number 10. <laughs> I'm too. just thinking of, yeah, the famous number 10s out of Argentina. But oh, yes, so, okay. many. All right. so many. Maradona. Maradona, man. Why? What he did in the 1986 World Cup, he carried the team on his back. Not, not only that, he scored a goal with his hand. And people praise him for that. Yeah, I know that's cheating. Who who else gets who else gets praised for cheating? Not mm, Suarez, not no. Messi, not Neymar, not Cristiano. No one else besides Maradona. And you know, I 
of course, Pele, he implemented something completely different to the world of soccer. Probably the best goal scorer of all time. I'm going to agree yeah. with you on that. Fiercest shot. Oh, for, oh man. That, that guy was just unbelievable. And we're probably not going to see a player like that ever again. But um, I think what Maradona did in the 1986 World Cup, no one else is going to duplicate that. Messi came up short in 2014. And although he wasn't a big a big winner. He didn't win a Champions League. Uh, I, I don't know if he won a, a UEFA Cup with Napoli. I'm, I'm not mm. sure about that. But um, even at Napoli, he would carry the team on his back, and it was it was him against the world, pretty much. So for that, for for his attitude and for the spirit that he brought to his teams, I think Diego Armando Maradona, maybe even the the, the best character and the best spirit of, of all time in in the soccer world, but. Certainly when it comes to individual ability, it, it, he ranks up there with some of the best. It's almost impossible to deny, to deny. And watching his goal compared to Leo Messi's, you know, the one that he had against Atafe. I'm also talking about the 86 World Cup um, with Maradona's strike against England where he dribbled the entire team. And it's funny because uh, the player who gave him that pass, and I don't remember his name, but it was a lazy 50-50 ball in the middle of the field, if you remember, where Maradona picks up that ball. And after the game, he comes up to him and says, hey, how about that assist, man? And so, yes, that lazy 50-50 ball in the middle of the field actually counted as an assist because Maradona just took it the rest of the way. Amazing, but I will always cite Pele's ability to improve those players around him because I think he actually did. While Maradona carried teams, Pele elevated them to another level. I'm thinking about the 1970 World Cup team being the the pinnacle with four different goal scorers in that final against Italy. And Pele being the player that scored the first goal in that World Cup. And previously, since 1930, no team who had scored first had ever gone on to win the final. So 1970 was the first time that happened and Pele had that first goal. So that's definitely where I'm going. But I like these icebreakers, Alex. This is how you can tell a little bit more about somebody's uh, soccer philosophy just by, you know, exchanging who's the best player ever. So keep them coming, man. Oh, for sure. And that was our icebreaker. Now let's talk about what happened this weekend because there was so much soccer, more soccer than you usually get the FIFA date, the FIFA break, the international break. Uh, Biggest winners. Ben, who do you have as your biggest winner? Wow. Well, it's got to be Brazil. They've clinched their spot in the World Cup uh, two feet in into the doorway, however you want to put it. They are there for another time. And how many World Cups have there been now? Is this 18 or 19? I'm going to say 19. 19 out of 19 appearances. That's incredible. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, The fluidity in the attack that I saw over the weekend was insane. They took apart Uruguay like they weren't even there. And Uruguay had the best defense at home going into this. And the Brazil, best home record, too. So they snapped that. Brazil tore them apart. Um, I'm looking at the wingbacks, too. Danny Alves and Felipe Luiz. I mean, these are the Brazilian fullbacks of, of or that we used to talk about. Uh, Roberto Carlos Cafu. Um, you know, they're back and they're talented. I'm thinking Marcelo, too. It's not, you know, not just those two. Um, Marcelo's a whole other story. He can cut in and be a midfielder. And the center midfield, it, everything, is, everything is clicking for them. Paulinho getting a hat trick. He almost left this weekend with four goals. Um, that's pretty amazing. Um, so scores from everywhere. Brazil's one of my big winners from this weekend. 
Yeah, we're going to agree on that one because, um, you know, not only did they qualify to Russia, but they scored seven goals in two games. Seven goals mm-hmm. in two games. These are the two teams that, that they faced. Uruguay, who they scored the most. They scored four on them at Uruguay. And then they faced Paraguay, and they scored three on them. Yeah, so, never never you know, easy to go into Asuncion either. So oh, they, I, I think that one they played in, in Brazil. Or it, was in, it was in uh, Paraguay. Really? No, you're right. They played it. No, no, yeah, you're. They played in Uruguay, and then they. You, yeah, and then they did play in Brazil. You're right. It was like up in the northeast or something. Yeah, it was in Sao Paulo, I believe. That's where. So southeast. (laughs) Okay, don't take me on my. uh, I am no GPS man, so sorry. Sorry for fact checking you there. Oh, it's all right. Um, (laughs) Point is that Brazil is back to basics, pretty much. You would say. because they just had us spoiled with spoiled, I should say, with uh, with such beautiful soccer that that they played, and they're back to that. And Neymar, Neymar, man, Neymar. If Messi and Ronaldo didn't exist, he'd be the best player in the world. Even though some people say that he already is the best player in the world, I don't disagree with them. But I wouldn't go out on a limb and say that. Uh, but Neymar, he he's. I don't know if he's a completely different player when he puts on that Brazil jersey, but when he puts on the captain's armband and the brazilian jersey he knows that it's time for him to shine he takes that responsibility very very well and that's why brazil is they're pretty much walking to to russia mm-hmm. next june yeah uh and neymar has really taken on the role of even if he's not wearing the armband really setting a, an example just on the pitch with the way that he conducts himself with the way that he brings his team in you're right he's really grown, grown into this leadership role and if he's not the best player in the world right now, I think he will be really soon. How he's 20, 25, I believe. So, you know, he's at the prime of his career. He's he's still evolving. He's becoming more of a finesse player now because uh, back in when, when he played in Brazil, he was very fast, very pacey, attack, attack, attack. Now mm-hmm. he's more finesse. And what I like about Neymar is that the more he gets hit, the more confidence he gains. Like, there's players that they get kicked once and they're like, oh, man, I, I don't know if I want to go back in there. Neymar's like, kick me more. Just follow me. Push me around. Pull my shirt. I don't care. You he know? knows and that. Like, yeah, he knows that he's getting results against the defenders that he's finding and he continues to go at him. Uh, being a defender growing up, that was one of the most frustrating things um, was just having a player continue to come back at you. And, uh, you know, it's never like we didn't have a little enjoyment in kicking them again and again, but you see them continue to get up and eventually they're going to put one over on you and uh, you're left in the dust, you know, kind of hopefully not by a nutmeg, you know, just looking back and thinking, oh, what happened? So Neymar is certainly that guy to carry Brazil and instill that confidence um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. Brazil, one of the biggest winners from this weekend for sure. Are they a favorite to win the World Cup? I know it's a little bit early. It's only March, and we have about a year and a couple months till the World Cup. But are they favorites? You know, I think they've established themselves as the best team in South America. That's obvious. So they have to be considered a favorite because I I definitely believe that the best team from South America always has a shot at, at winning the tournament as a whole. Um, but there is a long time. Anything can happen. So we're really just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, it's going to be a fun wait, though. But something else I want to say. Brazil, are they really going to come in competitive for the next games that they have for qualifying? Because they're they're in the World Cup already. You know, would it surprise you if Neymar isn't called up for the next few 
uh, qualifying games or that would surprise me. I think that Neymar has a really great affection for that uh, yellow and green shirt. Loves putting it on and representing his country. So for him not to be there, that leadership would be missing from the team. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play the full ninety minutes. If you know, if they're playing. Um, you know, that second game of these FIFA breaks, which we always know demands rotation. I wouldn't be surprised if he was left out, but I think he needs to be there. That's for sure. And I think that Brazil will continue to compete because they, they that's, should. And that's be what smart. favorites do is that they continue to establish their way of playing. They really need to look at this as an opportunity of almost a year to fine tune their team before they go to the World Cup and to see what is the best level they can play at. Yeah, I think it would be a pretty stupid decision if they go in with, you know, well, not stupid, but it wouldn't be the smartest thing if they don't bring their stars to compete because they do need that sense of competition to go into that World Cup as, as fine-tuned, like you said, as they can. Okay, let's talk about another winner. Who do you have mm -hmm. as your second winner? That's going to be Mexico. Yeah, six points from two games and two different teams. <laughs> Osorio supporters unite and rejoice. He is brilliant. I love it. I mean, the team adapted to both games so well. I think that they played um, kind of a not, not the cleanest first half against Costa Rica, but they got the goals that mattered, and then they, they certainly controlled the second half. I love that part of it. Um, Chicharito, of course, he is a huge winner, getting that leveling strike to level Jared Borghetti for the leading goal scorer in Mexican history. He had an uh, opportunity yesterday to to break that, and he slipped on yeah, the ball. You I, know, and that you know that happens because from now on, when people say Mexico's leading goal scorer of all time, they're going to say Chicharito first, because just like. The tide goes from low tide up to high tide and brushes away your sandcastle. Okay, this guy is going to be number one in Mexico. And I think that's going to be for a long time to come. And he's coming off of not playing with that golden generation team. Everybody that was looking at Carlos Vela, Giovanni Dos Santos, uh, back then was Efrain Juarez. I don't know what happened to him. Uh, Hector Moreno. But Chicharito was a bit of a late bloomer. And to be able to go and play for Manchester United and and complete, I mean, playing in the Premier League with the biggest club over there. And Jose Mourinho says he'd never sell him. And then going off to have a stint with Real Madrid and now finding regular playing time with Leverkusen in the Bundesliga. He has done everything that a young Mexican player should aspire to do. He's 28 and years old. That's, that's so. remarkable. Um, I am so happy for him. There's really no other player that I enjoy watching play more than Chicharito Hernandez for Mexico. He is the heart and soul, and uh, yeah, love watching the little P out there. Yeah, he lives off of goals, and you can tell right away his face changes when he scores a goal. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously it, it does for every player, but Chicharito, he just he he lives off of it. He scores, and he the, the smile is just from ear to ear. Yeah, it reminds me of like yeah, Filippo Inzaghi from back in the day. Doesn't matter what goal it is. It can be just a sloppy little tap-in or the one that he scored off of his face against Chelsea that first game. That was his first official goal for Manchester United. United yeah. So happy. Yeah. yeah, so you're right, man. He's a likable dude. His face was probably numb after that <laughs> shot to the face, but he was happy. It doesn't matter. But let's look at Mexico now. They are top of the table with 10 points, and they're sitting pretty 
for another World Cup qualification and hopefully clinch that number one spot out of the CONCACAF region. They're the best team in North America right now. There's no putting it past them. I know that the USA came out and beat Honduras 6-0, but that's Honduras. Come on, Mexico is a project that has been in the works for a little while now. And I really think that Osorio is getting the best out of his team. And they are one of the best teams in the world. That's how uh, Trinidad and Tobago coach uh, Lawrence, um, was it Hashley Lawrence, regarded them, said they were one of the best teams in the world and his Trinidad team were going to really have to be top-notch, take them on. Clearly they weren't. So, yeah, I'm saying it now. Mexico are one of the best teams in the world, and you better watch out for them at the 2018 World Cup. I hope so. I, I really hope so. Um, one of my winners, though, my second one, my second and my last one, Colombia. Colombia, they were in a very tough situation coming mm-hmm. into this FIFA break. They were sixth in the in the qualifying. They were out of the World Cup. They needed six points. They needed to deliver to perfection to clinch. Well, not clinch yet, but to be in there. And um, now they sit in second place. They won both games. Although the game against Bolivia, I, I, I was watching some of it. The game was pretty sloppy. And uh, they had to suffer for that one. And they suffered. Their goal came at like the 82nd minute, if I'm not mistaken. So, and James missed the penalty. He got the rebound. Right. I know. know. Had to steer it in. Wow. Yeah. Lucky. Carlos Lampe probably feels hard done by on that one. He really guessed well on that. But Colombia, yeah. Yeah. They needed those points. And you're right. They, they came through at the right time. Um, was there a player from that team that really stood out to you? Uh, the player that always stands out, Hamas. He's the guy that's a completely different player when he puts on his national team jersey to compared to when he plays for, for his club. Well, whenever he plays for his club because he doesn't play much. Mm. What he did, though, kind of surprised me a little bit because in Colombia, they defend him a lot. And what he did, if you guys don't know, um, there's actually a bunch of videos. Uh, he, like, peeked out of his window and there was, like, a bunch of media, you know, trying to take pictures of him. This guy just flicks them all off. All of them. He just flicks them off. And this was before the game against Ecuador. So, I I mean, obviously that's not the right thing to do. But he was probably feeling a lot of pressure. And he's like, all right, just leave me alone. And then he mm-hmm. flicked them off. Not the right thing to do, obviously. But Are we ta- you know, are we going to transition to talking about the Comnable and the pressures that it puts on its players? And how maybe certain players, star players, lash out at media. Maybe officials on the field maybe get slapped with a four-match ban. Come on, Alex. Yeah, we'll let's, talk about that let's in Let's talk bit. about Messi. Come on. All right, let's talk about Messi. <laughs> Who is actually one of my biggest losers? Now we're going to go into the losers. We talked about yes. our winners. Let's talk about the losers. Argentina. Argentina. They are in the playoff spot. They're in fifth place now. Um, Messi, what he did was... Uh, I mean, I've heard I've heard and seen other players do the same thing. They don't get suspended for four games, but there could be something uh, that people that just watch the games don't notice. People that don't look deep into what's actually happening, they don't know what's going on. But um, yeah, he like he told this, he told the ref to like fuck off and, he, and motherfuckers stuff like that. You know, you hear that all the time. I think there were some pretty disparaging remarks <laughs> about the linesman's mother. Come on, man. That's that, that, that's true. But four you don't games. bring that up. You don't bring that up to an official on the sideline. You, you just don't. It, it's completely out of character for Messi. Once that's why I was so surprised to hear about it. Second of all, it's it's his mother. 
Come on. <laughs> That's this true. is the guy hey. that, you know, is, you know, growing up, uh, mom made him casseroles and tucked him in the bed. You know, you don't bring that onto the field. It's, it's, it's wrong. Okay. But that happens all the time. That's the, the number time? one person that, that they remind other players, their mothers. <laughs> Come on. I, know. <laughs> I mean, I know. Who, but who I could it? definitely see the, uh, the pressure that was yeah. on Messi. And I think that the four-match ban is also completely unfair and disproportionate because this is not something that he's done regularly. He's typically an upstanding player, and Barcelona has actually come out to his defense issuing a statement that they are surprised, support the Argentine FA's um, appeal of the ban, and um, have only commended Messi on how he's conducted himself on field and off the field. Of course, anything that you're going to get from an official statement. But I've never seen this much from Messi. And I do think that over the past year, year and a half, it's become a real toil for the guy to play for Argentina. It doesn't seem like there is any sense of camaraderie or love for the shirt on the Argentine side. I think that the pressures of playing for that country and you know the bad treatment they get from their federation has really what federation soured. it doesn't exist it's there's, really there's, soured there's it no for one, them you know and um you're right you're right on that because here's an example portugal plays for cristiano ronaldo brazil plays for neymar messi plays for argentina no one plays for messi mm-hmm. you have to play for your star if you have a star like that if you have the luxury to have a star like that you you, you got to treat him like the king, which Messi, he is the king of Argentina, speaking obviously soccer-wise. Um, and I feel like he's been horribly mistreated ever since the Copa America. Well, not even that, ever since the World Cup. You know, they, they treated him as a failure and this and that. And it's like, dude, as a Mexican, I wish to see Mexico one day even play a freaking quarterfinal of the World mm-hmm. Cup. I, I haven't been alive to <laughs> yeah. see to see that. You know, and now you guys were so close to winning it all. And you're going to treat your star player like that? That's so unfair. And then Messi stuck around, played the Copa America final in 2015, lost in penalties to Chile, lost in penalties. He scored his his penalty, the only penalty that was scored in that penalty shootout. But then unlucky, Higuain didn't deliver, Banega didn't deliver. So that's not Messi's fault. And then in 2016, the pressure that he had to take that penalty, I think Messi... He, he just tried to place it as far away from the keeper as he could. Couldn't do it. You know, and can you blame the guy? Maybe, but he did what he could. He, he, he was the captain, the leader by example, not much, not much by, uh, by being very vocal, unlike his teammate Pique. Uh, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he, he does what he can, and they don't help him. I'd be pissed, too. I, I, I don't know if I would have quit the national team, but I'd be pissed. You know? Yeah. Well, there is no replacing Messi. No. You you can't you can't bring anything to the game that is uh, over his level of competence. He 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 does it himself. Um, the issue that I have here is maybe it's not maltreatment on purpose, but a little bit of incompetence. You say that the federation doesn't exist. It it really hardly doesn't. It's it's a it's a real shame. Because Argentine soccer I love. If you ever go on YouTube, go to Fútbol Para Todos. Yeah. You can watch every single Argentine league game. And there is some really, really solid uh, teams down there with great passion, great culture. Um, but Edgardo Bausa, too, the coach, is a little bit... I mean, he has a... Most of his uh, managerial career, I believe, was spent in Ecuador. 
I mean, the guy doesn't have a lot of international caliber experience for him. And how is he going to coach these guys who are playing for top-class teams? I think that he's relying on Messi and what's left of, Mas- of Javier Mascherano a little bit too much in that spine of the team. And it's really, it hasn't shown much of a cohesive side. Their next games are going to be tough. They have Uruguay next. That is not an easy shot whatsoever. Um, you know, that's a classico in and of itself. Uh, going back to the 30s when they first squared off or the Olympics beforehand. God, I love that era. Um, <laughs> and it's going to be really difficult for them. And then they have to play Peru. And I believe the next one is, it's another weaker side, Venezuela. They have Peru and Venezuela next. So they should be able to win those games without Messi, wouldn't you agree? If Di Maria can show up. But there's that cutting edge that's missing. Messi's gone. Di Maria, this is a great opportunity for him to step in. But he's not the same player as Messi. No way. So, no way. So it's, you know, there's, there's going to be a massive Messi-sized hole in Argentina. The question is, what do they do with it? And, you know, they're in a dangerous spot right now of missing out on the World Cup. Peru is in the ascendancy. Venezuela showed that they can play a little bit over the weekend, or at least they won't lie down. And Uruguay, that's not an easy game. I, I could see Uruguay easily walking away with that with that win. Um, it was disastrous that they dropped that result to Bolivia. Um, you can't blame them at the high altitude. But that's, you know, that's a point lost at least. And that's really difficult. So Argentina is certainly a big loser out of this. Has um, to be a huge loser. Messi probably the biggest loser because four games man that's just so unfair if anything should have been two maybe two or i think that could be fair or even one if you wanted if you really wanted i know couldn't couldn't they have just been gentlemen met after the game shook hands said hey i'm sorry about it man let me get you a coffee or a beer sometime they had the chance, but you know, I don't know if you Come saw on, that that Messi didn't actually shake the the linesman's hand. Oh. He he was he shook the the referee, then his uh, the other linesman, and then he went to the one that um, that he insulted, and he just shook his head, and he's like, "No, I'm not going to shake your I'll hand." Just and say, walks away. It never so, helps to have disdain with the referees. I know it's difficult, but I've had to learn it the hard way a couple times. There's just no point to it because they're the ones with the whistles and the cards. That's and true. Really Although some referees, man, some referees yeah. are just horrible. And it's something that, that we've been seeing a lot, not just in Mexico because they had a strike recently, but like all over the world. These referees, either technology is catching up to them way too fast or they're just getting worse by the minute, mm. you know? So I just, I don't, I don't know. Man. I think I there's, think, a, I think there's way too much pressure on these referees that's to get true everything too. right. That's true. So in because doing of the their job, and they are trying to do the best that they can. I mean, it's not like these referees are trying to mess up games, uh, unless he, they get some sort of uh, right. You know, and we incentive know to... incentive. Yes. Yeah, we all no. know about corruption in the soccer world, but I don't know. I think that uh, referees can be blamed a little unfairly. Um, and that, I think, will bring us to our next topic, the referee strike here, if you're ready to move on. Oh, I actually have another loser. Oh, Honduras. let's get to that. Honduras. Man, Honduras. they got, How many goals did they concede against USA? Uh, six? Jesus yeah. Christ. I mean, against an yeah, inspired Christian. Christian Pulisic that played an amazing game. Um, then they drew against Costa Rica, a game that, you know, if it would have been any other qualifier, they would have probably won. Because they were playing at home, but they tied. They they were winning. They had a lead, 
and they gave it up and they tied 1-1 and Jorge Luis Pinto isn't doesn't seem to be getting along with his players although to be fair he wasn't getting along with his players at, at um, Costa Rica back in 2013 and 2014 but look what they did in the World Cup the difference here is that Costa Rica qualified in first and now Honduras is uh they're they're fifth I was going to say fourth because it says on my notes four but they have mm -hmm. four points um Honduras, yeah. man. Honduras are, in my opinion, the weakest team in this region. Um, I don't believe that they showed any medal whatsoever against the United States. I was shocked to be looking at the 20th minute, and they're already down 3-0. I mean, what is what are you doing in a World Cup qualifier like that? Where None of the lines seemed organized. Nobody seemed together. Uh, Oscar Boniac Garcia didn't play. I don't understand that selection because he has the experience of playing against MLS players. He should be in the team. Honduras have some of these players. Put them in the side. I, I really didn't get that. I thought that they let themselves down terribly. And the fans that came to watch them in San Jose. I thought that was a pitiful performance. That's... Too easy to say, though. I mean, the USA were special on that night. That's without a doubt. But, you know, Honduras, they, they need to bring something else to the table. Otherwise, they're going to find themselves well out of it pretty quickly. I would almost put down the draw against Costa Rica as a positive. Because bouncing back from that 6-0 loss, you need something to grab onto. That's true. At least they have a point. Um, a loss would have been disastrous for them. And then my last loser here is Ecuador. Mm -hmm. From third to sixth, they've been dumped out. That's what happens when you get zero points in two games in South America. The table doesn't wait for you. People move up, and they get points, and they're, and they're right there. Um, Ecuador, it's difficult for them to play away from Quito. Um, I really think that they struggle, and it's something that I hope they can reverse. Um, you know, actually in October, when Messi returns from his four-match ban, it will be against Ecuador. So it'll be the matchup of my two biggest losers and not the hit ABC weight loss show. <laughs> Good joke. Um, <laughs> all right. Now I want to talk about Mexico a little bit. Let's talk about the Mexican okay. national team a little bit. I know last week you went on a tangent and you talked about Osorio and how great of a coach he is. Um, I would say you know, that it was some very well-informed discourse. True. And it was, it was a healthy debate. True. I, I apologize for that. You are very right. Um, and... As I was watching the game on Friday night, I was sitting there with my computer and my notepad ready to take notes. Um, I thought about you, and I'm like, I should probably watch this game with an open mind. I shouldn't just close my mind and say, okay, I don't like what he's doing. I don't are like the players. Okay, that are you talking about Costa Rica or the game against Trinidad? I'll talk about Costa okay. Rica for now. Okay. And then, yeah, cool. last night I did the same. I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch this game with an open mm -hmm. mind, and I'm going to see really pick out what Osorio's doing the first game uh against Costa Rica it was a a first half that was I mean what can you say they got two goals they got the job done there pretty good the second half though they controlled they dominated completely Costa Rica looked absolutely lost and I'm also gonna point out that um when I saw the the starting eleven with Vela, Oribe, and Chicharo up top, I'm like, no way that they're gonna play with those three. It's gonna be Vela that's gonna be dropping back. He's gonna be playing more as a as a number ten. Oribe and Chicharo are gonna be the two strikers. Chicharo obviously not a left winger, 
and um, it worked to perfection in, in their first real attack because Carlos Vela kind of dropped into that space. Chicharo shifted uh, to the to the right, and he received the ball as a as a striker, mm -hmm. as a striker that yep. he is, and he just chipped it over yep. Taylor Navas and. There was the goal. A very nice through ball and exactly what you want Chicharito to be doing. It's those diagonal cutting runs. Oribe Peralta can play centrally as that isolated striker. He can play hold-up man. So the great thing about Chicharito is he can accelerate so quickly. It's that any defender in a blink of an eye, he's past you. So to get him on the right or the left, whatever he may be feeling at the time, and having Vela be able to receive the ball and look up for the pass... You know, you get a, di a hard diagonal run, beats the defense's offside trap, and you have him in through on goal. And that's where you want him every time. Um, I really, really liked the attacking setup, too. Um, the back line worked out as well. I thought Ochoa was imperious in goal. I think that he had, he had that massive save, which could have, you know, been a turning point had Costa Rica scored that um, and could have really put some pressure on Mexico but he relieved that pressure. That's the greatness of having a competent goalkeeper like him in the back. I would have liked to see him seen him start against Trinidad, but I understand the switch. We'll get to that later. Mm. Uh, the back line, though, with Salcido at right back, you know, he's a bit of a, an outlier at that position, but he's been so good with Fiorentina. Why not throw him in there? Um, you know, he can win balls in the air with his head. I thought he was very good there and, and serviceable, too. Um, Moreno and Araujo. Araujo's been a bit of a revelation at center back. I mean, he had two very good games. Let's not take the small sample size and say that, you know, he's the next great center back. But, I mean, this guy can be part of the future. And Layun was a little inconsistent, but I'll leave him for what he does. That can be, you know, cut inside, put a long pass in. Uh, I think that he was okay. All right, now let's talk about this second game uh, that was just last night against Trinidad and Tobago. And, I mean, to be fair, that grass was out of shape. Complete. It, it was horrible. I, I think the grass in my backyard is in better shape <laughs> than that field. And, I mean, Trinidad and Tobago soccer isn't their main sport. They were more excited about some cricket competition that they were going to have on Friday or something like that. That's what I heard. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the starting 11 was a little bit different. Um, although Osorio kind of kept the core, uh, Salcedo, Araujo, Moreno, Layun. They they played. Um, Hector Herrera played. Chicharo played. Um, Diego Reyes came in and uh, maybe as a center back, I'd I'd say he performs okay there, but in the middle against that team that's so strong and so fast, uh, you know he's lucky that they weren't as uh, as great in front of goal, or else you know a couple things would have gone wrong, and then. My biggest question here, well, I have a couple questions. Layun, where was Layun playing? Because Layun clearly wasn't a fullback. It was Luis Reyes doing the defensive mm -hmm. the the defensive work. Yeah. Layun, I kind of interpreted as he was more free-flowing, kind of uh, cutting inside, taking shots from that left side. Um, he has played some center midfield and a bit of a creative role in his past, so I wouldn't be surprised if he put him in there. Um, you know, Luis Reyes on the side, I think he had a great uh, couple games there. I mean, he only has 24 Liga MX games under his belt for Atlas. And also to and be his, uh, his first official game with, with Mexico, he performed well. I'm, yeah, I, he was I, kept. I don't have anything to say. Yeah, so bad to say. Um, when I looked at the lineup, I understood 
Juan Carlos Osorio's emphasis on height here because Trinidad and Tobago do have some stronger players. They do have fast players as well. But this isn't a side that's going to blow you away. They're mostly going to sit back, try to be organized in defense, and maybe catch you on a long ball and the second ball that comes down. They have some skilled players in Kenwin Jones, uh, Kevin Molino, Joven Jones, um, who used to play for the Chicago Fire. He now plays for the Seattle Sounders, um, is quite a talent on the left. And Daniil Cyrus in the middle, also played for the Chicago Fire, um, is... You know, he's also a very good defender. So I like this Trinidad setup. I thought I think that they're improving. I I believe that that's a country that has a real passion for soccer. And um, I'd like to see them continue to progress. And I think I thought they performed admirably against Mexico um, for Mexico's lineup. Yeah, definitely. Jesus Molina in the middle. It looks like uh, Juan Carlos Osorio has a certain affinity for this guy and thinks that he can go over and play in Europe. He has the confidence in him. Um, for his size, that's and always the important. That's yeah. always imp- important. If if your coach has a lot of confidence in you, it shows in your in your game and you're playing. Molina had a pretty good game. It can always help facilitate a move overseas as well. So I think that relationship is key. Uh, he had a great game. Luis Reyes, I was very impressed with. Um, I always have a little soft spot for the uh, Cantera de Atlas. Um, one of the players who played for them, uh, Luis El Macue Robles, is actually from my dad's hometown of Hamacueca in Jalisco. So anytime a youngster comes out of the Atlas system, I look to them and, uh, yeah, have a little smile. Um, Talavera, I thought, was uh, pretty good. Um, you know, he performed well in the air. Chicharro did his thing. Ultimately, I don't think Mexico had to be at their best, but with this auxiliary team, they were able to go out there and win the game. Six points. That's... Great. I mean, top of the table, you can't really ask, you cannot ask for more. Not a single thing more. Oh, I agree with you on that. I think all six points is exactly what was needed. And now they can relax. Not completely, though, because they have Honduras and USA coming up in, in June. And then they have to travel to Russia to play the Confederations Cup. But I do think that it is it does relieve some of the pressure. And that's awesome. I like that. Um, I was gonna. Oh, I forgot what I was gonna say. Uh, oh, about the goalie. I think Ochoa should have played yesterday. If if there's anything you want to keep, it's the goalkeeper. Keep him consistently. Ochoa should have been the goalkeeper. He he should be the goalkeeper for pretty much every game. Based you know? on merit, yeah, I agree with you. I do think that is some of the tinkering that has been a little bit. Um, you could say anal or obsessive if you want. I mean, just this constant change of goalkeepers is a little bit over the top. So how can the back line completely settle when they have a different guy between the posts every time? I agree with you there. Um, Ochoa is, in my mind, the undoubted starter. He has a big game against Barcelona this weekend. I wonder how he's <laughs> Without Messi. Messi's not going to play because he got all five yellow cards that you mm. need to be suspended all <laughs> right let's move on let's talk about the liga mx as you guys know there was a strike the referees went on strike a couple weeks ago they canceled match day 10 welga yeah welga. yeah welga. Welga. days oh man yeah man <laughs> they, i know that's, that's what they felt like they came together yeah they did well that's that's the positive the negative we didn't see soccer for an entire weekend in mexico and what's gonna happen now is that they're gonna play that match day 10 they're gonna play it 
on April 11, 12, and 13, which, by the way, 13th is my brother's birthday. Um, so he's going to watch Toluca and Cruz Azul. I'm pretty sure he's super excited yeah, that's about, a good gift. about that. Yeah. <laughs> he always makes fun of Cruz Azul, though. Um, but yeah, um, it's going to be, uh, there's going to be three games on Tuesday. Tigres Chivas plays. Uh, that Tuesday, which Tigres, they have a stacked calendar for these next few weeks. They're going to have to play about three games a week. Half Champions League is in there. Yeah. and uh, They are busy. Very busy. And then uh majority of the games are going to be played on Wednesday and leaving Thursday with only one game, which is the one that I was talking about, Toluca and Cruz Azul. So, uh, Ben, what do you think about this referee strike? That th- I-, I know it's a bit of a, of a late news topic but no it's I mean, important it's, that we talk very about important, it because, yeah, yeah our listeners haven't heard our thoughts i really like the referee strike the referee strike is a movement that's in flux it shows what a united independent union can do when they think together and that's exactly what it was the mexican fa needed to be you know they needed to pay attention to these referees who were officiating in conditions that weren't ideal to their safety that needed to be taken seriously so i think that when the refs came out and said that no we're not going to referee it strong armed the federation into giving in uh, what are desio di maria and enrique bonilla doing up top it shows absolutely no organization in the mexican federation and it's really it is starting to take a toll on the fans. I think that would be the biggest loss would be the fans didn't get soccer. Um, you know, it's difficult to see any way for the federation to continue to bounce back from these controversies that come up just because they, I don't know, can't seem to come to agreement with their employees. It, it shows very bad management. There's so many different ideas in that federation. No one seems to ever be you know, together, they, they're never on the same page. And you brought up Desio de Maria and um, Enrique Bonilla. They're just robots, dude. Like, they just go out, like, they have a speech program. They say it. They ask them questions, the media, the, the press, and they don't know. They don't respond to anything because all they had in mind was the speech that they were going to give. So they're never a solution. They just say whatever they're yeah. told. And um, it's not going to be within there. Do you have any idea of a solution of how the Federation could bounce back? I don't have anything. I think they have been, you know, untrustworthy and not worthy of credit for so long now. And there's really there's really not a whole lot you can do. I think that staying with Juan Carlos Osorio could reestablish some integrity in the national team program. I think that's important. Which is, well, different from, like, the league from and all the league. that. But, it is. But still, it, it should give it some stability, you know. Uh, but, yeah, how would they focus on the league and fix it, in your opinion? Uh, it, it's, first of all, if you want to talk about something else besides the refs, I think they should reduce the amount of foreign players that come in and not have so many, but have but whoever comes in, good and quality foreign players that to me that's the way to start then we can build off and i don't know how you would how you how you would do that though like making sure the quality is is better than standard yeah because there's usually some players from like argentina that come in to collect the check and they they don't care about the team they're just there to get the money you know and and that's what professional soccer players do yeah well they're there to make money oh yeah for sure and argentina's argentina's clubs don't pay their players so that's that's why they come up here and it's not only argentina let me just say that because no i know 
Uh, there's there's players from Ecuador and Venezuela and Brazil and everybody. I think that the league should welcome in these foreign players. I think that it helps to elevate the level of the game because you get different football influences from different parts of the country or That's different true. different of countries the world. of the world. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what to do about the federation. That that's something that we're gonna have to look into. It could be it's a whole other show, don't you think? Oh yeah. Is yeah, just even this debate on um, on the foreign players. We could talk mm. about that completely, <laughs> yeah. like for a, another podcast that's for sure. Uh, do you have anything else to add? Well, uh, uh, you know, to I watch. Kinda, yeah, something. I wanted to end with a little bit of uh, what to watch for. So go ahead. Um, okay, so this Saturday, Chicago Fire are playing the Montreal Impact, and Vastin Schweinsteiger may be making his first appearance. He's here. Yes, so he is might here. As well. Visa is approved. I think the medical has gone well. I haven't heard that it has not. So he could be there. I'll be in the stands. I know oh, that. That's awesome. I get out of work like an hour before kickoff, so I'm going to have to book it over. But, you know, that's, that's just what I'll do. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a great day for Chicago. Uh, look for that. Maybe a resurgence of the team on the way. My would be nice. Game, would be real nice to see. My other game is uh, Atlas versus Tijuana. I love Luis Reyes being in the Mexican national team. I want to see this guy in action for the club against uh, Miguel Herrera's Tijuana. Did you see him get the pastelazo over in the in the week? It was his birthday. They put a cake right in his face. Luis Reyes is no, no. Or it was uh, Miguel Herrera's. Did he? Snap if you want to like see, if you want to see Pio Herrera's face, and you know how crazy it is, but if you want to see that face covered in cake. Look it up via his Twitter. Hair. It's hilarious. His hair, man. It's uh, like just frosting in the hair and everything. It's a mess. He's hilarious, man. Uh, you know, I, I kind of miss him in, in the Mexican national team. Not so much anymore because uh, my boy Juan Carlos was... Ah, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> now no, he's no, on no, board, no. huh? No. Uh, <laughs> hey, Bring him to MLS. Bring Herrera to MLS. That would be nice. He won't know um, what on earth he's doing, but it will be entertaining. I can guarantee you that. Does he speak English? No. He doesn't? He doesn't. That's even funnier then. <laughs> um, anything else? No, that's uh, really all I have. Any games you're looking forward to? I have two now. The ones that you just mentioned. Oh. <laughs> uh, and cool. also, just out of pure curiosity, I want to watch Granada against Barcelona. I want to see how Ochoa plays against that strong, not so strong recently, but uh, obviously Suarez and Neymar. No Messi. But, oh, and Arda Turan got hurt too, so he's yeah. not going to be playing. Mm-hmm. He's usually the, the replacement for whenever one of the wingers is out. He he's he's out now, so he can't play. Yeah. But it'll be very fun to see Ochoa. You know, he's uh, there's been a lot of comparisons between him and Keylor Navas, and it's like you know, Keylor Navas plays in Real Madrid. Wow. Uh, Ochoa plays in in Granada, so it's you know. Can you compare the teams? Not not much. No, but what I can say about Ochoa is that he will always be the Mexican goalkeeper who took a risk. Yeah. Who decided to go over to Europe when no other Mexican goalkeepers would. And, you know, maybe we'll see shades of his times with Ayazio when they take on Barcelona. You know, that save, would be nice. those, the saves that he had against Paris. Look up those highlights on YouTube, uh, Ochoa versus PSG. It's incredible. Um, he had yeah. an excellent game. Yes. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to that game, too. Um, ultimately, I want to say thank you, Alex, for making me a partner of the show. I'm really happy to be here and have this opportunity to contribute week in and week out on the various topics of the soccer world. And just to keep uh, the dialogue fresh, I think that we have some good outlooks. And uh, thank you for bringing me into your studio. Oh, for sure, dude. the final third podcast. Uh, I feel right at home. For sure. Hey, 
It's a pleasure to have you here, man. You bring so much knowledge, and we don't share similar thoughts sometimes, so that creates an awesome debate. Uh, one last thought, though. Um, I was watching yesterday. Um, I don't even remember what what the TV show was. I was watching how they were shaving Juan Carlos Osorio's head mm-hmm. because of the bet that they made, yes. and that to me showed that there is a lot of chemistry between the coach and the players. That's what's needed. That's the recipe for success. If the players listen to the coach, if they follow what the coach does, things should go well. Yeah, he has that feisty new Chicharito haircut, and that fun in the locker room is what you want to see. So I'm excited for it, man. Every Mexico fan should. It's a great time. Uh, And last thing, shout out to that jersey that you're wearing today. That is fresh. I haven't seen you wear that one, but it is for you who cannot see. It is the long-sleeved, authentic Mexico kit with the vertical stripes. It's gorgeous. I was wearing it when they lost 7-0, and then I went like two months without wearing it. I had to wash it. but uh, <laughs> Ouch. Well, you resurrected it. It looks good. There it is. There it is. Now I don't wear it when Mexico plays. I wear normal clothes. I just wear like whatever I... Superstitions, I man. Oh, dude, I believe in like that. Like Stevie Wonder. Oh, if, <laughs> for sure. All right, Ben, give yourself a shout-out, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, follow me like. at Meza underscore Ben. So at M-E-Z-A underscore Ben for Twitter uh, to follow with my rants. And um, at the final third podcast. Awesome. Hey, thanks for giving me a shout out there. <laughs> All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Perez TBE. That's on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Like us on Facebook, final third pod, facebook.com slash final third pod. Uh, you can read my pieces uh, playing for 90. Uh, I'll put a link in, in the description. You can read all of those. I had a, a piece come out for basically summarizing the, the game between Trinidad and Mexico. I was, I was writing it as I was watching Panama and USA, so it was a little bit tough, but I got it done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all right. And you can keep up with us if you subscribe on iTunes and you follow us on SoundCloud. Uh, you should get a notification whenever we upload an, a new episode. Um, and that goes for everyone, even the lovely ladies that are here. Yeah, thank you to they our didn't make audience any noise. today. They didn't well, make any noise. They've been so attentive and, and really engaged into the podcast. Hopefully they learned a little bit from um, from what we talked about. How much? Almost 50 minutes. Wow. Okay. Uh, my cousin Josie, my cousin Tanya, and my cousin Lupe. Uh, awesome. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being here. I know you guys probably don't know much about what we're talking about, but it means a lot that you guys are here. So thank you. All right, we'll wrap it up. Thank you for listening, people. Take care. Goodbye.